hit it, boys. You just uh, sarcastically said, let's talk some sports when we began the old part. I actually will talk sports for one second. Okay. Uh, a horrible truth that I've recently uh, soft launched Okay. on Tommy Giles. I do. I love soft launch, hard launch, using that in uh, the other than relationships. Yeah, yeah. Quick, uh, already, let's divert a second time. <laughs> um, have you ever heard the term soft launch September? No. I don't know when I saw it. I, I Probably saw September. It. Oh, you know what? I was looking up that, um, what's my man's name? Paul Mescal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you famously just watched, like three hours ago, uh, you famously watched After Sun. I did. And you're like, wow, this one's moving me. And I was like, well, this is about to rock your fucking world, dummy. That guy, that guy who you don't know who that guy is, that guy, you sweet dummy. In a long-term relationship with Phoebe Bridgers. And you were like, yeah, it's like the only thing that people <laughs> know about that guy. literally the only thing that I knew about that guy. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, the only thing I knew about that guy was that, I don't know. To uh, be fair, yeah. to give you some credit, I didn't realize that that was Paul Mescal Whoa. while watching the movie. So I knew that. I knew, The dad. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And I did know that Paul Mescal. that's the only thing that I knew about that guy. I didn't even know what he looked like. I just knew that Paul Mezcal was in a long-term relationship with Phoebe Bridgers. Do you know that they began dating? So then I started like doing like Phoebe Bridgers, Paul Mezcal dating origins, <laughs> deep dives. And um, Paul Paul Mezcal, Phoebe Bridgers, Joker. Yes, <laughs> truly. Um, do, you, do you know how they began dating, Mr. Know-it-all? Probably like depression. She watched something that he was in. I forget. Do you know what he was in? Well, yeah, we don't know anything I about this I literally guy. just yeah. said the only yeah. thing that I knew about he, him. I, is it called, uh, I don't know, something. He uh, She tweeted, uh, just finished watching uh, such and such. Now I'm horny and depressed. Oh, wait. Which, Phoebe Bridgers, her tweets kind of run the gamut between from, from the worst to the best. <laughs> that one seems incredibly on brand. That's an amazing tweet, yes. I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he responded... Uh, I'm dead. And she responded, ha, no, please don't die. You're so talented. Then at some point, uh, they had sex with each other, I'm sure. Yeah. And now they're dating. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty cool story. That's a great online meet cute. Also, though, like if I had to, if I had to, like, if I just watched that movie yeah. and you were like, pick a girlfriend for that guy, I'd be like, feet bridges. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so true. And it's like, and he... They last a while, but he doesn't. Uh, I don't know if you're talking about like. I'm not talking about sex. You, you fucking. Well, you could have gone two different harlot. ways there. They were literally they were talking about sex in a public forum. I'm not allowed to think it. I had to look up what harlot meant the other day. It's Somebody like slut, jokingly right? pr- projected uh harlot on me okay they said uh you harlot and i was like oh <laughs> uh, yeah we're all such heart what the fuck is a harlot it's again just like a whore it, it just means a, a a thought yeah okay and i was like i i don't care uh i did um uh i found uh, that out like a couple weeks ago i i hope this isn't like a a bad word but slag mm, to slag somebody no like 
Oh, sla- there's slag is a noun? Yes. Oh, slog, I think, slag. is to... Uh, it's slog British. is the verb, and slag... I, I, I really hope this isn't a bad word. We've each said it like 300 well, times. Well, I don't... Though. I mean, I, well, here's the thing. I, I found out about it through Matty Healy in a lyric for the 1975, and so I was like, it's okay to say, but then again, it's that's a lyric from Matty Healy. It's probably a of word that like they don't even put that letter in the alphabet because it's so bad <laughs> probably yeah being saying like hey matty healy says it that's not really like a trump card of it being okay uh all right so i from my from context clues i think that it means slut but like in a girl British. or boy it's only the second definition on urban dictionary but we're never getting to the sports take uh or any of the things we're going to do today uh a girl or boy who shags everything in sight which, fine if you end it at one sentence. This is a two-sentence definition. Okay. The second sentence is lowercase, lowercase h has one million STDs. <laughs> cool it. <laughs> oh, my God. I was going was gonna to say was cool that, it. Was that the, written by Maddie who, Healy? The, the uh, username of the person who wrote this on yeah. Urban Dictionary yeah. is... Pussa he. <laughs> I think like push a T, but the P word. <laughs> I was thinking like Waxahachie. I think it's far more likely it was a Waxahachie reference. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Puts. They're creative Pussy. on Urban Dictionary. I actually went down. I tried to get down this rabbit hole, but uh, I was going to have to end up looking up so many terms. Mm. Uh I was thinking we should get into uh, entering literal definitions on UrbanDictionary.com and uh, encourage the listeners to upvote them. So, Urban, we, so you're, we're cleaning you're, up Urban you're, Dictionary. You're, yeah, you're, <laughs> I like the uh, I like the, like that's your New Year's resolution to yeah. clean up Urban Dictionary in 2023 and just turn it into a regular dictionary. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, it's a that's a good bit. Okay, so um, the sports take. By the way, before we get to the sports take, yeah. Uh, if, if anybody's listening to this, thank you, because I just imagine that we lost like two-thirds of listenership after last episode. No. I saw that like the one-third that did that is still on board really liked it. They thought it was very funny, but like... It was funny because it was one of those episodes where after we finished recording, I was like, oh, man, people are going to hate that. And you were like, no, they're not. Commitment to nothing's funny if you do it half assed Yeah, no, that's that's true. And if you do it with any sort of and this is why we balance each other out, because you will always and I'm not saying uh, this is an insult. You'll always tread uh, towards being a normie. You'll, yeah, no, like you'll always err on the side of the average person. Yeah, and I'll always err on the side of like the joke. And you're like, the joke didn't exist two minutes ago. <laughs> These people are alive, and like we need them. Yes, and I'm like, oh, but this joke could. I know this. Jo- we never even knew what this joke was 18 seconds ago. It's now the most important thing in my <laughs> life. And if we don't do it fully, then. I'll never forgive myself. But yeah, but you did. But like before, where we were going into the episode, uh, you weren't even like committed to doing it the whole time. Yeah, unt- yeah. until we got like three minutes in, you're like, "All right, we're doing this yeah, for the full 60. Clearly, this is what we're going to do <laughs> yeah. the entire time. I had fun with it. Yeah. Which update on that? Uh, 
my if you didn't listen to the last episode i took a vow of silence uh, that is continuing through this episode <laughs> i'm not really going to speak much so how was your holidays i fine what what, what what's going on with uh, your your job do you have a job what's happening there took a vow of silence <laughs> Patreon.com slash listen to brunch slash listen to brunch if you want to weigh in there. Uh, how about them chargers? A little tougher to stay quiet there mm-hmm. because, boy, they're hot. <laughs> Zebra. Uh, I'm not going to make it to a joke because to a is, is like resting in peace. But uh, like Brandon Staley for real, like ruined to his career. I think that also maybe the injury stuff possibly ruined to his career. But I feel like I mean, like, if you had, had asked me like three weeks ago, I would have said that Brennan Staley ran and ruined Brennan Staley's career. I was talking to Ken Jack the other day. It, the, the vow of silence doesn't count off the pod. Okay. I was talking to a friend of the pod, Ken Jack, the other day. And I said the least likely storyline for this stupid, ridiculous NFL season is that I would be extremely in on Brandon Staley. Even like a month ago, or like as you just said, like no way. Three weeks ago, the guy yeah. is bonkers. trash. He is out of his. He's the most out of his mind coach. He he might socially he might actually be like what uh, the Eagles coach uh, Nick uh, Sirianni. Yeah, what people thought he was when he gave that uh, just like kind of performance anxiety riddled press conference. He's not that. Brandon Staley might be that, where he's just kind of like, hey, uh, let's, uh, so let's go get him. Here goes nothing. <laughs> just go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Anyway, Staley, though, great game against the Dolphins. Just really putting together. Like, is he the coach of the year? Could be. I think so. Uh, I hate the Winter Classic. I don't like, I think the Winter Classic stinks. No, that's not. That's a bad take. I think that most people would think that's a bad take. And it was a take that my body, it, like, my body gave itself a fever. To, to reject the take I think the, I think I, I'm I'm more on the like the winter classic now knows what it is and it kind of stays in its own lane and I think that th- that's good uh do you hate the winter classic because like the the outdoor game is like too tired now I, I was like a lot of us were worried about that like three years into the outdoor yeah. game experience where stadium series started there was way too many of them it was just a whole ridiculous thing but honestly I thought about my experience. And relationship with the Winter Classic, I've gone, I've not gone, mm-hmm. I've watched on TV, I've done the go to the area, watch at a bar thing, mm-hmm. and the best experience has been that, which means I just like socializing. Yeah. So like you can kind of do that well, anywhere, uh, but the the experience itself, and I've only done it behind the the cover of a press box. Mm-hmm. I've done both. And even then, like, not amazing, but you're, the the lead up to it is cool. You go and you see, and not everybody gets to do that. Like, the lead up of, hey, going in, seeing the ice, walking around, that shit is awesome. And fans don't even get to do that. But every seat essentially is obstructed view. Mm -hmm. It's obviously cold. It's uncomfortable, which if you drink a lot, that'll warm that up. And the vibes of the people will help you out there. But watching it stinks. Watching it on TV stinks. I turn it off generally. I watch like the first period and the first intermission. I'm like, okay, 
What else is going on? I mean, you're not. I mean, you're not wrong because it it like it does take away from like the good things about hockey. Yeah, like it is definitely more about the spectacle. The like the the sight lines aren't as good. The play isn't as good. The viewing experience isn't as good for both of those reasons, and also because you're outside and in the freezing cold. So yeah, I like I I would I would if a fan was like, should I go to the Winter Classic? I'd probably be like, ah. You don't have to. It's not not the best. But I think it is like good for the sport. And I think that it's a cool event. And it's like what what else are you going to it creates memories that like a normal regular season game wouldn't. Okay, we're completely on the same on the same page with all that, because that's exactly what I would say to somebody who's going. I'd be like, it's not that great, but. You might not have a bad time. Yeah, I've, right. I have had a bad time. I've done the uh, four outdoor games. I've done the seats thing, mm-hmm. and uh, for the Winter Classic, I've uh, been. I've done the the press box thing, and I left the seats that I was uh, at the frozen Fenway thing. Okay, I left after like a period. Yeah, and then I guess it's just saying that uh, I. I I go to bars too much. I just went to a bar after and was like, whoa, I mean, so much better. Yeah. I mean, they have quesadillas here. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, there, there's nothing worse than like it being freezing and you have to watch a, a sporting event or even just like any sort of event because the only way to combat the cold is to stay active and you're not yeah. staying active when you're sitting down and watching something. So like, I, I'm not ready to say that the Winter Classic stinks. I think that if you if you like want to make that argument about it not being like as good as watching from home or on TV or whatever, th- there's there's definitely a case to be made. And I also think there's definitely a case to be made about it being oversaturated. Like, get rid of the fucking stadium series. Nobody cares about that. That's stupid. People have been off that for legitimately five years. Now. Yes. And my solution to the stadium series thing is you take away the stadium series thing and do more of like Lake Tahoe where – you're not bringing in fans. Lake Tahoe was the best one. It was fucking awesome. And you know who enjoyed all of it? The fans, because they weren't there. <laughs> yes, yes. I was... Uh, this is a sports episode. Uh, I was... We had some interaction. Uh, you, me, and a friend of the podcast, uh, John Titterington. And it was about... I don't know. Somehow, uh, the DeAndre Jordan play came out. Everything comes back to that play. Which just meant that one of us were... On Twitter and uh, DraftKings the other day did the like drop your favorite sports plays of 2022 and they did the thing even the arrows pointing down which means reply to this yeah which just that's always like don't tell me what to do I'll quote tweet it and it's like we all like you don't need to explain it to me like I'm five yeah oh although like I still did it the wrong way because I quote tweeted it uh, <laughs> and I did the DeAndre Jordan play but that uh, that conversation dredged up memories of do you remember when it was the Celtics in the bubble and. I forget who they were playing, but there was a jump ball and the other team had 0.1 seconds left on the shot clock and the Celtics won it and Marcus Smart like didn't even put his hand just like immediately launched it the length of the court and I want to say oh Kemba did the Seinfeld, like, what the fuck you doing? What the you fuck you idiot. doing? You stupid piece of shit <laughs> yeah. thing. And Smart was like, there was once there was point one second left on the shot clock, and Rob Williams had to do the like, oh honey, let's get you <laughs> out of here, and was like pulling Marcus Smart away, and was like, dude, 
your part of this interaction needs to end as soon as possible because this is not good. But I w- went back and watched that because we were talking about stupid plays, and that was in the bubble. And I was like, oh, man, if that were – if there were fans there. I ain't going to lie. I'm getting cooked. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to a friend of the podcast, Dylan Chevery, who uh, had a good Grinch tweet, which was the Grinch – Halfway through the second verse of your mean one, Mr. Grinch. I ain't gonna lie, I'm getting cooked. <laughs> I was saying that all Christmas. Well, I'm, I ain't lying. I ain't gonna lie, cooked. I'm getting cooked. <laughs> you famously did get cooked by like your eight year old nephew or something. Christmas Eve, I show up and uh, my my nephew says, uh, "Hey, I saw something you did on TikTok." Which white woman voice? If you know, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, been trying to volume shoot a bit on TikTok of late because I was doing better on TikTok than you. Then you did one video on TikTok that did really well. Mm-hmm. And now two suddenly you did two videos that did well. Well, I mean, relatively. Yeah. Did you do like a follow up? I did a follow up. Yeah. That's the thing that I find on TikTok happens too. Yeah. You'd be like, all right, part two. I'm like, damn, I didn't think that people had an attention span for the end of part one on stuff, but. Go off TikTok. Yeah. Anyway, uh, my nephew was like, hey, saw something you did on TikTok. And I was like, oh, no way. Which is that shitty thing that uh, I do if like I'm at like Chuck E. Cheese or something and someone comes up and they're like, hey, it's not always for me, but I appreciate you the way you talk about the sports. I think the blah, blah, blah. And I always do like a Taylor Swift winning an award thing of like, oh, me. Blah. So I was doing that. Out Chuck E. Cheese a lot. Yeah, that's the example I gave. Um <laughs> So, uh, I was like, oh, cool. Hey, man, thank you, Britain. Like, before I could finish, he was like, yeah, like, you were talking about, like, so you were talking about a movie or something. It had, like, 500 views. <laughs> <laughs> just your eight-year-old nephew. Just need this guy getting no bitches. Yeah. Hey, looking at your uh, social media engagement, you got no bitches, my guy. <laughs> Did you ask for some bitches for Christmas, Deej? Honestly, I did a... Uh, I did a fake uh, Craigslist post. I was going to make some content out of it, and I was like, nah, this is too mean. Uh, I just took a picture of all my presents mm-hmm. and made a Craig, a fake Craigslist, a Craigslist post that was uh, for trade my Christmas presents. I was going to do like a TikTok thing, the green screen thing. You know how those go. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think like my mom's on TikTok. And I didn't even take pictures of anything that she got me. It was obviously like a, just a joke. Yeah, right. But but it is, it's a joke that, number one, has the potential to make people that you actually care about feel bad. Yeah. And number two, it, it seems like it could be very annoying for you, for people reaching out. Because they'd be like, oh, you didn't like my presents. It's like... No, I mean from like the people from Craigslist. Oh, no, it wasn't a real Craigslist post. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. This was all... So I'm, I didn't know if you made the post like, f- like act in reality. I'm kind of a uh, Photoshop guy. I'm kind of a Photoshop whiz. Mm-hmm. Let me see. I got it somewhere on here. Hold on. While DJ looks for that, this is going to be a, a big movie episode. We, uh, we're we going to discuss three movies. Three. Three pretty uh, pretty significant movies. Not uh, none of this. I think, I think we've officially passed Netflix holiday movie season. Yeah. And we are moving on to 
Stuff that you may be hearing about for the next couple of months. Yeah, you finally saw Glass Onion. I did. Which that, that, that's, that's, I, I, that's the weirdest place to that's start. That's not the ever. finally one that uh, you deserve, because you would have seen it if it were in theaters longer. You finally saw Banshees, Banshees. of Yep, and uh, you saw The Whale. I did, yes. Famously, and... I'd already seen all three and was just... Uh, Mario Kart. You are you are lapping me in movies so far. You, I mean, like even After Sun. I thought I was going to beat you to After Sun, and you were like, "No, bro." You- I did a very. I felt very good about that. I was at the Celtics game, and you texted me, "Have you ever seen After Sun?" And I gave you a yes. Mm-hmm. Just a that was it. Just a what else? Y e s. And then you were like, "Hey, let me blow your mind with this Paul Mezcal fact," and I was well, like. Let me blow your mind with this fake Instagram post. What do you think, buddy? Right, for trade, my Christmas presents. We've got uh, a twenty-five dollar shell gift card, uh, ultimate music trivia, and a picture of Emilio the dog. I got some very average presents this year. Trying to unload in a trade. If you're looking to get high end stuff, try someone else. I can't include anything in the trade, but these underwhelming presents I got. <laughs> this looks this looks like a real Craigslist ad. So. <laughs> Shit. Pretty good. Pretty good. Whatever. If any... <laughs> Do we still make that content? I think... I, you should post that somewhere. I was going to do it like when I got home. Like today? I, I, uh, no, like from Christmas. Just I think like that's a, too it, soon. Immediately try to turn those things around. <laughs> At least if you post it now, it looks like you sat on the idea for a couple of days. Like, not the idea of the joke, but yeah. the idea of, should I really trade into I'll my have, presence? But then I'll update the description... To say, uh, spent a couple days trying to get some use out of <laughs> these things. Get anybody to take it. Uh, in all seriousness, uh, two different people got me music trivia sorts of things, and uh, that's the last thing I would get you. So, and why is that? Because any of the questions that are on there, you're going to be like, "Oh, too easy." Blah, blah, blah. That's exactly what. And in both <laughs> cases, we immediately opened them up, and someone went through all of them. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I was like spitting out years before. Yeah, they, of course. It was like, what year did Mariah K- 1994? <laughs> <laughs> Even you, you've turned fucking glass onion into music trivia. Best. I guess that can be our transition point. Yes. Glass onion. A knives out mystery. Benoit Blanc is back in the second installment of Ryan Johnson's Who Done It franchise, surrounded by a whole new cast of characters. Blanc goes to the private island of tech billionaire Miles Braun for a murder mystery party where he intends to solve a real life crime he believes has been committed by someone at the party. The film co stars Janelle Monet, Edward Norton, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, Dave Batista, Jessica Henwick, and Madeline Klein movie has a rare matching Rotten Tomatoes score. Wow. Did you know this? No, I did not know. You seeing this? 93% from critics, 93% audience score. Uh, on I've seen this movie twice. On first watch, I thought as good, possibly even better than Knives Out. On second watch, I came down to earth a little bit and just think it is a great top of its genre modern like contemporarily speaking top of its genre type of movie 
that's probably a little worse than Knives Out. Yeah, so I, I think it's definitely worse than Knives Out, uh, but it is it holds its own. It's a worthy worthy sequel, um, and it does some things better than Knives Out. Like I think some of the mystery elements in this are are better uh, and like a little bit more interesting than than what happened in Knives Out. The pacing's probably a little bit better in this one than in Knives Out. Ooh, interesting. And the, but like the big the big detractor for me is I think that the there's way less charm and the characters are way less interesting. Uh, I'm not crazy about the pacing in this movie, but it does set up the the thing with like bad pacing in movies, especially if it's a, any sort of mystery is the ending's going to be fast and furious. Mm-hmm. And this is the worst movie I could possibly mention while saying that this is a good movie. Uh, don't worry, darling. You had the sense of like, well, at least something's going to happen at the end. Yeah. And this, as you're, as you know, it's going to unravel quickly. You're still enjoying the first half, which really takes up. Uh, like I would say, like the first half of this movie takes up two thirds of the movie. The yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. there's a uh, there are a couple big reveals, but uh, and I'll try to keep this mostly spoiler free. Maybe um, the first of the big reveals involving one of the characters happens maybe later than. I would have it happen. Well, I would try to have it happen. Like, so uh, that's that's not that's kind of like not what I mean by pacing. So maybe I'm I'm using pacing wrong. Like, I I think that it keeps a good pace, but I I don't love the structure. Yeah, right. Of, so like of the, the pacing, way that it's arranged. Like, that's the, a good way. The movie it. moves very quickly, but I don't think that like I don't think that it's arranged in the way that would serve it best. Yeah. Um, I love that this movie isn't an homage to Knives Out. Correct. It's literally taking a character and putting them in a new situation, which doesn't sound particularly novel, but obviously the temptation is always there from studios, directors, filmmakers to say, this worked, let's do it again. And in so many ways, they did do it again. They took... Benoit Blanc yeah. and put him with a bunch of terrible people and had him figure some shit out. But it's all new, terrible people, and it's a completely different story too. And like the mystery is not not super similar to what happened in the first one. Right, right. It's, it's a it's a very different set of circumstances from setting to characters to sort of the way that this all unfolds. Um, I. I agree with you, and I also agree with Ryan Johnson, who agrees with you, because it came out this week that he said he did not want Knives Out in the title whatsoever, and the studio really forced it on him. Wow. So it's it's the, the technical title is Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Correct. And he was like, I didn't want that. I wanted it completely separate from Knives Out, and I wanted it to be like two separate novels on a bookshelf that you wouldn't necessarily know were connected yeah you don't need to have seen knives out to see this movie i can't even think of any there's not like a single connection i don't think and if there is like maybe there are some fun uh, easter eggs but who cares you don't uh you don't need them there is more like self-contained easter eggs in this and this is um a this is solvable by the the viewer did you know 
who quote unquote did it as you were watching? Um, no. And here's the thing: I didn't really care. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I, I know that some people watch like murder mysteries to be like, I want it. I'm going to try to figure out who I'm the did it. Same before. exact way. I don't. They're I don't really tell ca- us. I don't really care to beat somebody to the punch. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not. I, I don't feel like I need to distract myself from what's going on on screen, trying to figure it out myself. Maybe that's. I, I'm. I. I know for a fact that that's a different experience for a lot of people. But like, yeah, I didn't put a ton of brain power into being like, well, this thing, that thing. Like, I'm gonna find out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just I'm, tell it to me. <laughs> yeah. Um. There, as as you said uh, earlier on the podcast, there is a musical tie-in that can tip you off early on in the movie and not bragging just saying i'm a dork i picked up on it and then had my eye on the person who did it so it was interesting watch because i i never know who did these things or whatever so it was interesting on the first watch to be like oh i'm pretty sure it's this person and then being kind of rewarded with each small kernel the the rest of the way um it on a related but Actually, maybe unrelated. Uh, no, I love what this movie does with stupid characters because stupid characters are tough to make and execute because if you make them too stupid, they either tank any interaction they're with or they just serve no real purpose. Like Joey Tribbiani really borders on like, all right, you got to get this guy off my screen because like at some point these guys got to get something done. Yeah. And this guy, I, that and you lose all humanity. Like yeah. they just become a caricature and you're like, there's no way that this person could actually exist and function. Another great example of that early episodes of new girl. Jess. Yeah. Jess just is the stupidest person alive. I remember one of my friends tried watching the first season and he said he gave up on it because he was like the main character would die. Would die. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly what he said. He said they this person would be dead by now if they were actually this stupid. Uh, they have the Birdie J character, which is very overtly and uh, obnoxiously stupid. So that's that's what I mean by I don't I didn't like the characters as much because like they definitely seemed like they steered too far into like very very stupid. Like, but I think that helps to suppress uh, the. Otherwise, spoon-fed stupidity of Miles's character. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, there's one person who's really, really stupid. But as you're looking for things from everybody else, uh, you can pick up on like, oh, like Miles is definitely the second stupidest person here. But yeah, but I don't think, that and he, maybe even I stupidest. Don't, I don't think just that, a little more uh, like flamboyant. I don't think that like they needed the like to steer that far into stupidity with some of these other characters because Miles is still believable. Especially like it's very clear that Miles is, is has the inspiration for Miles is like a guy like Elon Musk, yeah, who, con artist who is like very successful, very rich, but somehow seemingly extraordinarily stupid and reckless and like. You don't. I don't think that you need to steer so far into like stupidity with the other characters to make Miles believable or throw people off the scent of, or, or like potentially throw people off the scent of Miles because like we have a framework of knowing that that person can exist. This movie doesn't uh, help to quell my stop. Go five minutes without an eat the rich movie <laughs> challenge because this and probably. Every Knives Out movie might be like this. This one is going to age 
uh, a little bit more poorly than Knives Out with all the pandemic references and yeah. like the the Elon Musk nods. Like it, it definitely definitely is like a product of it's the time dated. more than Knives Out was. But that being said. It did have the best, like, timely visual gag of the year with the uh, birdie wears, like, a completely mesh face mask that is just serves no purpose. I thought that was fucking hilarious. Uh, This movie runneth over with cameos, but tasteful cameos. There's one scene where they're all playing, where Benoit Blanc is playing Among Us. So he's on a Zoom with a bunch of people, and that's the only time where the cameos seem kind of heavy-handed yeah otherwise really tasteful sprinkle in a little dash of ethan, ethan hawk. hawk a little hugh grant hugh grant being benoit blanc's roommate so funny <laughs> amazing so funny the, the benoit blanc having a roommate is hilarious yeah but that's like uh uh britney snow had a roommate for a long time. She bought a house and uh, had one of the other people from Pitch Perfect really? live with her. That's amazing. And I think it's because like she wanted a roommate. There yeah, is didn't uh, want to be lonely. I've aged out of the roommate uh, like experience, but I think that there's probably there, there's like social benefits to. I've got a couple roommates. Having <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple roommates, and it definitely helps when you're feeling lonely. Uh, Yo Yo Ma. In this, I did not notice Yo Yo Ma, famously not a music guy. Yeah. Uh, some some uh, last appearances, I believe, for some people in this film. Who? Angela Lansbury. Okay. Famously resting. Yeah. And uh, friend of the podcast, legend of the podcast, Sandy. Sandy. Sandy was in this. Wow, Sandy. That's our boy Steven Sondheim for new listeners. R.I.P. Sandy. Yeah, we lost Sandy this last year, yeah. and that was a tough that was, blow for us. That was a tough one. Yeah, we didn't like that one. No, definitely not. Nobody. We uh, went all the way to New York to pay tribute to Sandy. Yeah, I believe rap squats in front of like a diner that just said like <laughs> Steve's Diner. I forget what it was. It had nothing to do with Sandy. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Serena Williams. Uh, I the Serena Williams gag was fucking hilarious. So like as visual gags go, that's up there too. Yeah, that was so good. Uh, really good performances. I thought everyone played their role well. Daniel Craig obviously is perfect in his role. Uh, Janelle Monae, I thought was really good. Edward Norton is Edward Norton. It actually kind of feels stupid running down the list of, of yeah, good performances. Like but Dave Bautista Dave Bautista was very good. Uh, and uh, Ryan Johnson said that Dave Bautista is the best uh, wrestler turned actor, which I loved that. I don't know if it's necessarily true. I think it's getting there. I had I put my take out on, on Twitter. Like of the current big three, there's Dave Bautista, John Cena, The Rock. And Dave Bautista really seems to be the only one that is, like, going for it and pushing himself. Yeah. He's the only one who's, like, trying new stuff. I'm very much looking forward to, you know this, everyone knows this about me. I'm looking forward to uh, Knock at the Cabin, is that what it's called? Yeah. Why'd you say The Sham? M. Night Shyamalan? Oh, The Sham Man. Yeah, The Sham Man. Now, we, we're we're basketball fans, and you're not a real basketball fan unless uh, you very rudely mispronounced Shams's name. So mm-hmm. is that why you called him the Sham? Yes. <laughs> I get so mad. I see people tweet. I've said this before. I'll see people tweet Shams. S-H-A-M-S. And I'll be like, 
That's not how it's pronounced. I can just like read as they write the word. I'm like, I know you mispronounce that word. You motherfucker. <laughs> Shams. 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 That's my colleague. That's right. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm like, Batista's working with some crazy directors. Famously for a little bit, I don't have colleagues. <laughs> true. You're my that's, only colleague. That's true. Uh, Dave Batista's working with some fucking crazy directors recently, man. He had uh, Denny DeVille in the way for Dune, yeah. uh, Ryan Johnson, um, uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, I'm sure there's another one in there. Uh, yeah, I bet he's worked with another director, yeah. Oh, uh, Peter Gunn. Or James Gunn, okay, uh, for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Peter Gunn's uh, brother had a hit. You know who Peter Gunn's is no. Guaranteed, Peter know how to eat her. No, no. Peter Gunn's. This is a review for the film Glass Onion, a Knives <laughs> Out mystery. Peter Gunn's was part of a rap duo in the 1990s. Uh, it was called Lord Tariq and Peter Guns. Along with his partner, Lord Tariq, they had a hit called Deja Vu, in parentheses, Uptown Baby. And it sampled the song Black Cow by Steely Dan. And in order to clear the sample, Steely Dan demanded $100,000 cash, whatever, no big deal, and 100% of the publishing and royalties. Jesus. So, in order to clear that sample, Peter Guns and... Uh, Lord Tariq agreed we will make no money off this song but it'll make us popular so whatever Steely Dan who did not need any money is now even way more rich beyond their wildest dreams Black Cow became a very very popular sample everybody samples that now you definitely know it if you heard it and uh, Lord Tariq and Peter Guns broke up because it just like ruined the band yeah Yeah, like it, it, it killed the band they're like more we like no money. More like Steely Dan, S T E A L. It's like Pete. It's like they stole the money. Mm-hmm. But what I love about that though is, so if you look up that song on Wikipedia, songwriters Donald Fagan. Uh, if Wayne's listening, he would uh, kill me. Oh, Walter Becker. Um, but uh, guaranteed, Peter know how to eat her by the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. Like Donald Fagan wrote that line okay. about Peter Gunn's bragging that uh, he's good at oral sex. <laughs> Donald Fagan's like, yeah, that was me, dude. Uh, and there's like a, what, the, one of the lines of that song is, I love sex. That's all Becker, man. Cool. <laughs> he penned that shit. Uh, what would you give Knives Out or Glass Onion Knives Out? Uh, a, a fucking go ahead. Out mystery okay, on Letterboxd. Um, I gave it a four out of five. I thought it was a very fun time. Um, took issue with some things. Like, again, I, I think that the, the the characters, not quite as interesting. The, the structure of the movie, took some issue with it. But really, my biggest gripe with this was one of the tropes that they used. It was just extremely overused in, like, mysteries. Does this include a spoiler? Yes. Oh, I wonder what there's it a, is. There's a sibling spoiler. Ah. And that that shit is so overused and, like, such a lazy. And I also think that, like, to a certain extent, like, stupidity is, is a big theme of this movie. Yeah. But you can get away with, like, basically any plot hole or, like, little bit of uh, questionable writing by just explaining it away that, like, this person's dumb. Yes. You know, and so I think there are some 
there's some cases where like that may come into play here. And it, it just, it, it bothers me like a little bit, but it was still a very enjoyable movie. I think that if there's something that was too obvious or anything for me, it would be that this film not only has Chekhov's gun, but Chekhov's bazooka. Yeah. <laughs> so even though you don't necessarily know who did it, you kind of know how the movie ends, mm-hmm. and that's how the movie ends. Then once you figure out who did it and uh, how they might get away with it and all these things, you're like, oh, wait, but this thing still needs to happen. So it's it's a little telegraphed that way, but... But, in, but, sometimes, but sometimes in a way that I like can appreciate because they they do some obvious shit and they try to explain it away like a person who fucked up and like did some obvious shit in the in the light of day yeah would try to like gaslight you into thinking that you're crazy mm-hmm. this movie like tr- tries to gaslight you at some points and i think that they do it very well i would give it four and a half or i gave it i, I always feel i i've already locked these things in by the time we but get here i give it four and a half on letterbox you can change it later i've done that before uh, what did I change? I changed something recently. Did I bump? I was going to say, did I maybe bump up bodies, bodies, bodies? But I I don't know if I could love bodies, bodies, bodies more than I already did on the first time. <laughs> yeah. That I, seems like a movie. I recoded like, a letterbox. Yeah. It's now got uh, five bags of popcorn, two <laughs> sodas from from me. All right. So four for me, four and a half from Deej. Yeah. Uh, let's do... The Whale next. Okay, The Whale. Uh, the Whale, directed by Darren Aronofsky, is an adaption of the play The Whale. It stars Brennan Fraser as Charlie, a 600-pound reclusive English professor who's dying of congestive heart failure. Knowing these are his final days, he attempts to reconnect with his daughter, whom he left when she was eight, a feat that proves to be quite difficult. The presence of a missionary with a murky past provides, or further complicates the situation, tying together elements of why Charlie's life changed so much in the first place. I'll say that's a pretty good spoiler-free summary, if I do say so myself. It doesn't mention Hong Chao. I wasn't able to squeeze her in there. We will talk plenty about her, but I don't want to spoil this too much, A, because... It's new mm-hmm. and B because this is, I think, a movie that a lot of people should see. And I don't want to even reveal elements of, oh, well, this is who this person is and things like that. Agree? Yeah, sure. Uh, this, uh, I also think that we're going to be talking about this movie uh, in, in a couple of months. For and, sure. And at which point we can, we can have uh, a different conversation that gets into it a little bit more deeply. I agree. Devotees of this uh, program know we love a good brunch score, which is uh, when the audience score is way higher than the tomato meter. This has a 66% from critics and a 92% audience score. 66. I think critics gotta chill. I thought this movie was literally, I thought this movie was awesome. Uh, I thought, I thought if I had to guess, I would have predicted that it would be Critics completely like the yeah. opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this movie was awesome. Uh, devastating. Yes. Just a kind of masterclass in sadness and something that you're not going to want to see 
for a little bit. I'm glad that I saw it as soon as it came out because we probably will be rewatching this come award season. And I would much rather wait a month and a half before seeing it again than bang yeah. it out. Like this, this ain't a Star Wars movie. You're not going it's back to back. Sure days. is not. Uh, and one of my notes is that this movie was like pretty excruciating. Yeah, pretty excruciating for a a lot of different reasons. And like this is gonna sound like um like a complaint or like a a detriment or whatever. Like it's excruciating. The pace is really slow and it is very self contained. So it is tough to get through but that is by design it is self-contained because it's a story about a guy who's a recluse who does not leave his apartment so literally like every scene almost every scene in this movie takes place in that apartment it is about like a the very slow passage of time inside those walls and about something that is extremely depressing and and gut-wrenching yeah i mean my personally my least favorite thing other than like horrible like violent terrible things like to see conveyed in a film is old people or dying people sitting around eating chips we always bring that up like i i I really didn't like i had a tough time with like uh nebraska and films like that because that 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 rattles me in some sort of weird personal way where like I don't want to ever be just like sitting around kind of doing nothing bowl and like having company and there's a bowl of chips there even though like people do that whatever but I don't know it just like it just like the the death of ambition or yeah, something like well, that and that that's, is and and that's funny because I mean we talked about it over the past couple of days there this 2022 has been an incredible year for just extremely depressing movies about like kind of losing your purpose and just kind of aimlessly wandering through life. Yeah. This is sort of one of those. This one has a bit more direction. um, And there are like uplifting elements to this movie, but largely it's about somebody like losing their way and kind of just waiting to die. Yeah, so I hate seeing that sort of thing. And typically in movies, it'll be portrayed in passing, and I'll just like wince and grimace as I'm looking at it. I watched two hours of this Mm -hmm. and was like moved to tears by it. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's uh, like devastation porn in some ways, because really like this guy takes – Hit after hit after hit, some self-inflicted, some uh, comeuppance. There's a lot of self-pity. Right. And there's one scene in particular, which, like, not to keep relating to this horrible thing. Like, hopefully nobody relates too much to any of this movie because it's all just very, very sad. But uh, there is a uh, binge eating scene where one interaction just goes a little subpar and it's enough to kind of set this guy off. And whatever your vice may be, like if you have a bad relationship with food, be it alcohol, whatever, I thought that, I don't know, I, I, I just 
felt that was so so real and so well done. You know what scene I'm talking it, about? Yes. Yeah, I it mean, is you, very you, hard yeah, to right. miss it. Yeah, you definitely know the binge scene, but like you know what I'm talking about? Like the thing that kind of sets him off. Yeah, it's a Wait. it's a small thing that otherwise should not like derail your life. Right, but that's God. That's so fucking it, human yes yeah and, where like it just and i mean the way that you were explaining it to me before i saw it was like it's essentially a blackout yeah it's essentially a blackout where like n- there's nothing outside of this guy's peripherals other than like what he's doing and how he's like coping and handling his feelings and it's just by eating and just like basically torn tearing his apartment into like a food tornado yeah it is it's tough man it's very tough and we talked about it too um this is a tough movie to uh to dive into the movie theater concessions during uh we both had like i texted you and said oh my god i had this terrible explosion why did i do this i i brought in nachos i and by brought i purchased them at the theater but like walking into the theater like as i'm holding them i'm like wait this might is this going to be a quiet movie or whatever like it's super quiet uh it obviously the food element of this not appetizing movie is very very tough this person has used food to cope with unspeakably devastating things in his life mm-hmm. you don't want to do anything you don't want to speak after seeing this movie let alone crunch some salty carbs into your face so i texted you being like dude why did i do this i'm so dumb and then uh, like what a, a week later two weeks later you see the movie it texts me you're like wait shoot just remembered walked in <laughs> brought snacks ah uh, is this gonna be bad and i was like ah uh, inhale them eat the, them now the scene the scene of the food tornado was me trying to finish all of my food before the movie started that's probably at- the loudest part of the movie so like if there's any time <laughs> yeah but i wasn't trying to eat during that scene uh so like while nicole kidman was talking about how heartbreak feels good in a place like this yeah. i was talking about how heartburn feels good there it is buddy like that um yeah i thought everybody was great in this movie except for uh the the missionary yeah so the missionary and i don't like doing that i don't like being like this person wasn't good in this movie but it was it was it was illuminated by the fact that everybody else was so good and that storyline needed to be there but that was the only imperfect thing about the movie and that character is important for so many reasons and i thought that sadie sink who's great in this movie mm-hmm. played very well off him i didn't think that this guy uh stunk up the joint but it was it was a bunch of heavy hitters and then a, a an actor yeah so that's like shout out this kid like i'm definitely not uh slog is that the t- like i'm not i'm not i'm not not slogging you you here uh you you did that no one is going to come away from the movie being like oh man i loved that character or i love that storyline again it was important but that was the that was like the it's like putting a worst it's, it's part like, it's like putting a regular person in like a bodybuilder's competition yeah what <laughs> being a, like yeah go out there and hang hang tough with those people i mean but i i loved sadie sink's yeah. storyline and how i mean i, mean, I liked I, I liked the character but I, I thought the performance wasn't fantastic. Um, not not I'm talking about the missionary still. Yeah. Like I, I liked every character because every character in this movie was like pretty deeply, but also like pretty humanly flawed. They oh, yeah. they all had like 
what the fuck are you doing sort of elements to their characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, with maybe the exception of Liz, played by Hong Chow. Oh, disagree. Re- I mean, I mean, there were definitely like, what the fuck are you doing? Yes. Uh, but like, yeah. but in like a less malicious oh, we're right. re- that, way, like there is a lot of the other characters had elements of maliciousness to it. It's them. all very human. Right. And uh, I would say this without getting into spoilers. I think that Liz was the biggest victim in this movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And she has to. Yeah, I mean, the uh, his ex-wife as well. I mean, they, they're all victims of a lot of things. Things and I, I I know that Charlie's character feels that I have done all this and his like dying wish is to reconnect with his daughter and to feel that he is leaving the world uh, a good person which he so strongly believes and of course she hates him for for that but he thinks that like everything is his fault and it's not his not all of it is his fault and it's life and. Very bad things happen to all these people. I agree, though, where in Liz's case, it's like, man, the world truly dealt you a shit hand. But you could say the same thing of Sadie Sink's character. Yeah, 100%. This movie, by the way, set in, I would guess, the maybe like early noughties, right? The early what? Noughties. I got British on your ass. What is that? The early... uh, 20s? you, you, You may say like aughts. Yeah. Like the early 2000s? Uh, I would say probably like a little, mm, a little later. Yeah, like yeah maybe, maybe like mid-2000s, 2008, 2010. Right. You got to remember it takes place in Idaho, so they might be a little bit further behind. Shoot, this could be set in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? They're still on Facebook. Yeah. Just given the technology, the language, um, there was... I mean, they're doing they're doing like Zoom classes. Not Zoom. For sure not Zoom. But like... like uh, a, a zoom offshoot which might be more of a, a a testament to like it being later that seemed like early online course sort of really? stuff but i mean you're, you're right there was like video cam yeah. stuff so yeah so anyway it, it was set in let's say at least 10 years in the past somewhere like that yeah. or maybe around 10 years in the past so the language is uh accurately reflected there's an r-bomb there is an r-bomb which it's definitely delivered by the correct character yes like if anybody is going to call something that it's going to be this character how did you feel about uh the very very end uh i i didn't didn't love it at first view but like the more i sat with it i really liked it and i think that there. I think part of the reason is the more I thought about it, the more I thought that there could be multiple interpretations of the end. Yeah. And I don't know how much we can get into it without spoiling stuff, but I really want to have that conversation. And that's like one of my favorite things that a movie can do is be like, hey, get two people together and be like, hey, what did you think happened here? Yeah. That shit is fun. And I, I, I really like how they delivered it. Yeah, I the there are a couple things in this movie that I think can can be opened up to interpretation and discussion. Yeah. And I really like that. The beginning, by the way, I thought was great, too. A very memorable opening scene. Yeah. But it ties together like 
It really you gives learn, you, you everything learn a lot. You, need. you learn a lot from like the first 20 seconds. I love his relationship with uh, that essay. He has one essay, so he's an English professor, and there's one essay that is basically his like oxygen mask. Mm-hmm. And I love that throughout the movie. I, I mean, I loved this movie. I thought it was so, awesome. So, like, it's clear that we both really like this movie. And that I, I, I didn't say Hong Chao's name enough times. Hong Chao, I thought, was incredible in this. I think that Frazier was great. Hong Chao, great. This Hong Chao is putting forth a stool bargain. Um, I was going to say... Uh, who was in everything last year? Uh, I was going to say Octo- Octavia Spencer, kind uh, of. A, a, a she, Spencerian. She has, she has uh, Octavia Spencer potential. Who uh, uh, a Blanchettian yeah. performance or a year, I'll say, and that uh, was in a few things and very good in all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, very clear that we really like this movie. Why do you think that critics do not like this movie? Some uh, critics. It's uh, it's shocking. I think that uh, you can question how. I know that there is people think that uh, there is fat shaming in this movie or like health shaming but how, in this movie and I, and and i agree like it is heavy-handed yeah but how do you tell the story of a morbidly obese person that thinks that the entire world hates them and like thinks that they're disgusting without giving examples to why that they would think that there has to be fat shaming in this movie i i agree with i mean yeah and obviously characters do fat shame in this movie but I think that like the portrayal, and I'm sure that everybody's experience is different of somebody who has done self harm. It's not, like, and this isn't fat shaming, but it is self like like literally he has harmed himself by an obvious something bad happens to him. He uh, reacts by his only vice really being overeating and binge eating. Like this. It, it just literally is what he does to himself. So yeah. I think it's more of a <clears throat> literal portrayal than saying like, oh, he did this because it's bad or he's bad because he did this or anything. Like he got to 600 pounds when he did not want to. And he want, it'd be one thing if this is somebody who is like, hey, I'm still relatively healthy and all these things. Like this guy is killing himself stopped caring yeah right like like, this is the means he used and uh, and not to spoil too much but like he is partially i don't want i I won't spoil it but the like his relationship with uh death is he doesn't have a fearful no uh, he, he relationship with death i didn't think that the movie treated the situation disrespectfully in any sense yeah i not intentionally again like there's a scene and there's multiple scenes where other characters make him feel bad but that is part of what his experience would right. be unfortunately like, i don't think but it, it, so maybe that's why critics might not like it and i've seen friends post about it being like yeah this wasn't it chief so I don't know. Maybe not for everybody. I was well, very I, moved by this. Yeah, I mean, like, like I, I, the, the ending, I think, really kind of brought it home, and I think that they did, they did a really good job. Uh, and you know, again, I called it excruciating. I laid out a number of reasons why I think a lot of people 
might not like this movie. So I guess I shouldn't be totally shocked. I, I'm more shocked that the 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 negative reviews are coming from critics rather than than viewers. You know, like I I wouldn't expect every one of my friends to like or enjoy this movie because I don't to a certain extent you're not supposed to enjoy this movie. Yeah, I'm going to try to pull up some um by the way, it's fallen since the beginning of this oh boy recording. It's a, a 65 now on Rotten Tomatoes, just plummeting. Um I'm trying to look. So it says uh Barry Hertz from the Globe and Mail says the whale is not a cruel spectacle. It is just a dull repetitive one. Hmm. Uh Odie Henderson of the Boston Globe. Okay. Hong Chow's local paper. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aronofsky, famously, Hong Chow went to Boston University. Only in Boston. Aronofsky has proven he can direct. So what to make of the fact that this film is so hateful and vile? I really don't think that... This was hateful. I, I, I wish don't, someone I don't, were here who thought it was. Yeah, I want that explained to me. Like, I want that explained. How do you come away thinking that, that like, the, the movie hated this guy? Even in a flawed movie, says Sean Collier of Pittsburgh Magazine, it's a beautiful subject to explore, and Aronofsky completely misses it. Hmm. Wow. Uh, Dennis Harvey, I believe is he's independent. Patreon.com slash listen to brunch. Did this film... Really need to get made, or was it just the least risky project Aronofsky could shoot under lingering COVID restrictions about what? 20 months ago? This is an extremely risky movie to make. If, yeah. As a, as evidenced by, like, hey, if anybody interprets your intentions a little bit wrong or differently, you come off looking like a big asshole. And, like, you can, I hate when people ask that question. Did this movie really need to get made? Does any movie need to get made? My guy, I saw the layover in theaters. <laughs> right. like, movies get made one way or another. <laughs> right. um, Frazier aims for so much more in a film which lacks any hint of true empathy and understanding. Oh, see there, I think you're kind of missing the par- the point, Michael Ward. The I, empathy is there, I think. Like, you know. I don't think, I mean, I don't know if... He's rejecting it either way. And like even his daughter says to him, she's like, I don't hate you because you're fat. And part of why I mean, he he hates himself for sure for multiple reasons. And I think that he chooses uh, maybe in like an act of uh, self-preservation or self-defense, he makes, oh, everybody hates me because I'm fat, the thing. But deep down and as is explained to him by other characters like that's not why we hate you yeah like you've you've done some shit man yeah well, like we're, we're we're concerned about you because you're fat but we don't hate you because you're fat like that's that's was like the message to me what do you give this movie on letterboxd i give this right now i have it at four out of five but I will say, I think that there's a potential for me to for for it to hit four point five. It has already done four point five for yeah. me. Yeah, four point. Yeah, I could I could see that. It, you know, I the the toughness which with which I kind of like had to sit through mm-hmm. maybe took away the half star. But I, I, again, I think that it's very intentional, and uh, I don't want to take too much away from like my score of it just based off of that. 
we will talk about this film again, I'm sure. You know a movie we're probably not going to talk about is... Actually, no, we will, but uh, Babylon? People are freaking out about that movie, man. People hate that shit. We will definitely talk about that one way or another. Um, I want to see that movie. Yeah. I, I, it, it, honestly, like the the responses to it make me want to see it more. Yeah. I will say like Damien Chazelle, I, you, you've, you've definitely made a choice for what you want your career to be, which just is the Hollywood guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like really like shoot for the moon with, uh, Get big actors, put them in some sort of Hollywood thing, and create a spectacle. Make uh, award bait. Yeah, essentially. I do. I mean, I do like the idea that he's kind of leaning into it. Whereas, like after La La Land, everybody was like, "This guy only wants to win Oscars." Yeah, and he's like, "You bet your fucking ass, I do." Check out this three and a half hour movie. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just that everybody says this is uh, terrible. Friend of the podcast, Hardy. Uh, walked out of it wow yeah well i mean he had a lot of opportunity too because the movie's so long a lot of time to do that he yeah. said he walked out after two hours damn i don't know if i man two hours i i'd feel pot, pot committed, committed at, at two that hours point. yeah uh, the banshees of inisharan a black comedy starring colin farrell and brendan gleason directed by martin mcdonough set on a fictional irish island in the 1920s banshees follows parig trying to regain the friendship of Colm after the latter abruptly severs, see what I did there, ties with him. Carrie Condon of Better Call Saul fame plays his loving but lonely sister, and Barry Keoghan plays a stupid kid just trying to find his way in life. The movie is devastating and hilarious. It has a 98% tomato meter and a 76% audience score. You fucking morons. Which, you morons. God, let's start there. This is the best movie I saw in 2022. God damn and it. 2022 is ending as we say this. This is, yeah. I have seen Everything Everywhere All at Once. I have seen The Whale, which I loved, which was very up there. Famously, I've seen I, After Sun. I've seen After Sun. I've seen Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. RRR. I've seen RRR. I Top love that Gun I, Maverick. I saw Top Gun Maverick. What else? I saw Emily the Criminal. I saw Barbarian. I saw I, I saw The Godfather for the first time. <laughs> saw a lot of 2022 movies. I saw The Sting. You ever see The Sting? I don't think so. That's an old one. Mm -hmm. But oh my god, see The Sting. Okay, The Sting is incredible. Right. Um, this is the best. 2022 film i saw in the year 2022 uh yeah, i think it's it is it's not to shoot my wad too early but five out of five like the best best movie i think that i've seen this year and it may it may it may take the uh the the double award of being i think the best movie i've seen this year and also my favorite movie i've seen this year because sometimes those don't align yeah this is the one of those cases where like i was halfway through this movie and i texted you doesn't matter what happens in the second half of the movie because it's like it's already five stars yes uh i saw it in theaters and streaming on hbo max i'll probably watch it again before the oscars i thought this was a masterpiece in both sadness and comedy and you just reacted to the audience score i did not know this to be a meme but there has kind of been a meme for lack of better term of young people love this movie and old people hate this movie really and i before i knew about this 
when I saw it in theaters, I literally experienced this because I watched the movie, went solo, movie ends. As I'm walking out, there's an old couple behind me, and I turn to them. And I don't know if I've said this. Uh, I will react to the movie with strangers after the movie in the theater. Well, you'll just like join their conversation? I'll, or, or I'll just start like, their conversation. Okay. I'll right. get them started. Just give them a little something to chew on as they walk <laughs> to their car. Uh, I said... So that was unbelievable, right? And at the same, and the uh, the the woman said uh, it was very, it was very sad, and or it was very bleak. And at the same time, the guy says it was rough. Wow, they didn't like that movie. Wow, that's interesting because like. I wonder. I wonder if like there is which like agree right yeah so like <laughs> loved I, it. I wonder if there's now like a generational shift between like what people want or expect out of movies. Like I think that like for a lot of older people, I don't know. I would assume that like they want to go to the movies and just like have a good time for two hours. Whereas like I think maybe young people are more open to the idea of like hey, this may be like a little deeper. Yeah. Or, like, a little tougher. And, like, they're more open to being sad. Yeah. I I mean, we, we speak the language more, for yeah. sure. And we, we've got... We've, we've been vaxxed, for lack of a better term, when it comes to yeah. any sort of uh, depress- depressing things. Uh, have to shout out very early. Carrie Condon as Siobhan, Colin Farrell's sister, is incredible in this everybody is very everybody is so good like all four of them like legitimate a plus performances and i don't know why i i know that better like better call saul if you followed this podcast at all we are the biggest better call saul guys and fully think it is like the height of prestige drama and television yet when the person from Better Call Saul proved to be an unbelievable actor. I was like, oh, who knew? <laughs> who knew? Which, like, everybody in Better Call Saul is incredible. Right. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just because uh, Stacey Ehrmantraut is a smaller role and also that Stacey Ehrmantraut is American. And I didn't know that this was an Irish actor. Carrie Condon is, is, should steal the eyes and hearts of everybody who sees this movie such a good character such a good character i mean they're all they're all good characters all great performances um yeah like one last thought on the on the the age gap difference like the olds like i think young people are more open to being sad like they speak the language a little bit more but i think that like this movie's themes definitely apply to older people like that will definitely hit the older you get somebody at the end of their life being like i gotta trim the fat here yeah like, i would hope right like i'm not uh, talking so, to none of you fuckers once i hit 40 so that that's where that's where i'm i'm surprised that like a young person would have more appreciation for this movie yeah i think that if i watched this movie like seven six seven years ago yeah i would have been like yeah the movie was all right like funny at some points but like i didn't really need all the sad stuff <laughs> all four of these characters are dealing with pretty weighty sadness it's it's a movie it's a movie about loneliness and fulfillment right and arguably the saddest character of them all is the one who 
completely rejects it and is like, wait, why be sad? Let's just all be happy and nice to each other. And I'm like, oh, you don't know. You are so sad, man. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, and it's not, not in like any sort of like toxic way. He's just got such a good heart that uh, he just kind of rejects the notion of it and is always kind of pushing back against it. His character is incredible. Uh, Calm's character is incredible. I find it uh, quite rich. And I can say this because I'm half Irish. Quite 1920s Irish that this man decides, all right, I'm not going to be around for too much longer. And what do I do? Every day I go and I drink and I bullshit with my best buddy. What's that? What kind of way to to spend the time is that? So I am going to quit my best friend. <laughs> he cuts it like isn't alcohol the thing that you drop there? <laughs> Presumably, yeah. But I think that he sees the alcohol as um something that enhances the rest of his experiences, whereas he considers the friend to be the detractor. Right. The conversation about alcohol was probably different back then. Yeah. Like they, especially they, in Ireland. Right. Um, man, it, it, it's it's just all very romantic. The way they go and they get a, they say, "Hey, can I get a pint?" They they have they a have bottle. Very structured and day. They say, "Yeah, there you go." They pour it in. All they right. go to the bar at the same time. Where will every you have day. your pint? Yeah. And, Man. It's like, man, I think I'm going to switch things up today by sitting in the different seat at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like, this movie, the, there are a lot of strong themes in this movie, but, like, the big overarching one is, like, loneliness and fulfillment, and then, like, being nice versus, like, leaving something behind. Like, yeah. a, a legacy. And, uh, like, when you go to, there are four main four main characters in this movie, you would yeah. say, right? So this Callum, like the, his struggle is like uh, finding meaning and like leaving a legacy versus like being nice. He wants to to leave the world with something, but he just can't quite put his finger on it. That's right, uh, Patrick. See what I did there? Yeah, I did. Okay, I, I did. I did. Uh, Porig. Porig. Patrick. Spelled, spelled Patrick. Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just kind of wants friendship. That's all yeah. he wants. That's like his fulfillment. He uh, he wants what he has. He said, well, well, yeah. well, for, "Why for, change? For, for what could he want? Yeah. He's got a, a lovely sister, a best friend, a, a stupid kid. He's trying to help out, and a horse, a mini horse. And, oh yeah, uh, Siobhan, Jenny. Siobhan just really wants purpose. Purpose, a little bit of companionship, maybe, uh, but mainly purpose. And then there's Dominic, who's a big stupid idiot, but like a lovable stupid idiot. Yeah, and. And speaking of love, like that's all he wants. He wants love. Uh, that's like his his goal for fulfillment. And the the movie the movie is so simple. Like on the surface, it is so simple because it's just about four people looking for purpose. But like, there's so there's so many layers to this movie, and like so many deep themes that it's just so great. I and. Obviously, movies have dialogue and characters talk to each other. Like, contact is such a big part of this movie. There's so many, like, showdowns, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better term, and not necessarily, uh, like, antagonistic, all of them, but where it's like, okay, now we put 
Horrig and Calm against each other, and this is going to be like a showdown. Yeah, or there, there's uh, or Siobhan and whomever. Like so many, they're one on one, one on one, one yes. interactions where like you come away from it feeling like the rope has been pulled in a in a tug of war direction. Exactly, and like the every interaction seems to have significance. Yeah, and to that point, this movie immediately jumps in. The first scene just explains the entire plot of the movie. And I went in not knowing what this movie was about. Same. It man, it was incredible. This is obviously, I think both of us are going to 5 out of 5 this bad boy. Already shot my wad and five, that. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I said uh shot my wad uh on television mm-hmm. last week and then a couple days later when I was like, "Hey, uh I'm leaving this place." <laughs> People respond. They were like, did you get fired because you said shot your wad? I was like, no. <laughs> Say that all the time. Um, this is an R-rated movie. Lots of language, uh, but also... Full frontal nudity. But all, yes. You may have missed it. Uh, also, uh, an extremely violent and uh, gory movie. Was anything too much, do you feel, in this movie? Um, no. I agree. No. And I, I, I know people who have seen this who have said, like, Wow! Did they re- did I really need to? Did they need to include this or show this? Whatever. Just like the it, answer to all of it is yes. It, it wasn't gory. It was like it was just sort of excruciating because you, you knew what was going to happen as interactions. Like because there were promises made. Yeah, that certain things would happen. If I'm not sure you know what gory means, if you say this wasn't gory. It is, but not in a way that is like they don't. They it's don't, not a saw movie. Yeah, like they, they're not. They're not prying your eyes open, making yeah. you watch things. Like that's what I consider to be overly gory. Yeah, they they show you shocking things. They show like, you the results. Yeah, and even we'll talk after. <laughs> not sure. There, there, there's scenes of this movie. Uh, you that that may have been edited out for television. You saw it on HBO Max. Yes. Yeah. They were there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, this is I I I can't see any movie beating this when it comes. To yeah. Oscar season. Yeah. I mean, like it's one of those movies that is so well done, but also so unique. Yeah. Like dark dark humor and dark comedy is very tough to pull off but it's especially tough to pull off in a like prestige movie that brings strong thematic elements and like this movie hits every fucking box it's got great themes great humor unbelievable performances great characters it's shot really well the setting is unbelievable this movie hits every box for me one last uh note on the performances this movie obviously has a very good script and the dialogue is great but the facial expressions in this movie do almost as much heavy lifting as the words do there's so many reactions or looks that either especially between especially from Colin Farrell or from Carrie Condon that are just amazing her her probably more so than anybody else whether she's offended whether she's perplexed and there's a couple de- scenes where she like looks at people yeah. like 
Try me, motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, I would also throw Brendan Brendan Gleeson into that into yeah. that mix too, because like I said, there it's very clearly laid out. Like, hey, if this happens, he's exasperated. It's, it's, it's a lot. going to lead to this, and as it plays out, you as the viewer, you're like, no, this is he he told you, and like you see that in Brendan Gleeson's face. It's like, motherfucker. I'm a man of principle. <laughs> There's such a great line, though, that Parg has to calm about uh, his principles and his state of well-being. That's incredible, where he says, oh, yeah, well, I have this to prove that I'm not as bad as you. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of many scenes in which they go toe-to-toe, figure-to-figure. That, that, that was the the nighttime uh, tavern scene, right? Uh, About being nice? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's the biggest one. I can't that's remember if he says that there or at uh Calm's house, but either way, it's so great. Um all right, we've we've wrapped up these 3 we we I think we've established that we're we're expecting to talk about two of them in a couple of months. I don't know if we're going to be talking about glass bodies onion. bodies bodies <laughs> yes. and uh I don't know if we're going to be talking the about... Invitation. The Invitation. Oh, God. One of the worst movies of this year. No, it wasn't. The, invita- the, the Invitation. Yeah, The Invitation wasn't one of the worst yes, movies. Yes, it was. It was, the, it was one of the worst that I saw. I, I really hated that movie, and we, we kind of if, got yeah, into if, that if, in the review. I don't know how many I've seen, but if I've, if I've seen 50, which I don't think I have, it would probably be like 40s or something. <laughs> I mean, I have, it's the, I've given two movies this year one and a half stars on Letterboxd. It's The Invitation yeah. and Deep Water. Deep Water, Deep Water, I forgot to even trash. score on Letterboxd. That's the thing. I, there's so many movies I saw that I just was like, this doesn't need to I'm going to go be. on an app after this movie? <laughs> yeah. Fuck that. I'm going to um, go eat an app. But if we had to talk about, um, we've we've often talked about the, uh, the, the, um, the, the scene, gets the clip, gets the clip at the Oscars when they, when they discuss the movie. Yeah. What do you think gets the clip from Banshees? What do you think gets the clip from uh, The Whale? Uh, the, the pub scene, probably, yeah. uh, Banshees, but there's legitimately like eight different ones. There's ones on the beach they could do. There's any sort of face-to-face one. Uh, the one from the whale is, uh, Charlie and his ex-wife. You think so? Yeah. I would, I would, but there's other options there as well. Yeah, I, I, I think that it's gotta be, gotta be Charlie and, uh, and Ellie, at when they're sitting across from each other at the end. And so you, you'd really go that late? They, they do that sometimes, man. They do. Sorry, they do do that where you're like, why would you choose that as the clip? Yeah, where it's like it, that, it gives away too much, but they, but it's the strongest part in performance of the movie. And I think that that would be their nod. But uh, they also not the first scene. (laughs) No, not the first scene. Definitely not. Uh, Anything that you didn't like about Banshees? Before we close, Uh, no. Like I don't trust myself to make a change to that. Uh, There's one. The one element that I didn't particularly love was like the witch slash slash. Yeah, she's like the least favorite character. But I feel like that that does a good job of like of. establishing the setting yeah that's fair it just it didn't like it it confused me more than served a purpose for me i do find it amusing that a lot of people see this movie and don't know uh when it is set 
which the mm. the location is made up. So, but I mean, they give you like a full framework of when it takes place based on the Irish Civil War. Exactly. That's like the big thing that should kind of give it away. Yeah. And if not that, and I know you could say, oh, like different culture, maybe though, like. I don't think there are like witches roaming around too many places. Yeah. Yeah. And like everything else seems very like in reality, based rooted in reality. Fashion, pretty dope, to be honest. Not bad. Not bad. Some nice, like loose fitting clothes. Yeah. Good film. All right. This has been a long podcast. Are we at, uh, we're at two hours? No, no, no. I, I, it's uh, one hour and 26 minutes. I thought that was 126. Which sixty times two famously that's right is one hundred twenty six well, all right, so we have to do two hours. There was talk about that. No, nobody no. said that Bye. nobody said we're doing that.